Let's return this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll pick back up at verse number 4, and we'll read down through verse 12. As we continue to work in this important section of the Word of God for the Jewish people under the law. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And, they shall, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest ye forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Father, this morning we thank you for this unique portion of Scripture in which so much of the law is summarized under one banner. Love you with all Help us then as we pick back up in the practical ramifications of the Shema. Help us then to see uniquely today this next little point of emphasis concerning the responsibility that all of your people have in communicating these things to others. We thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon us today. We pray in Jesus' name and for his, bless and for his honor and sake. Amen. My oldest grandson, Nathaniel, has had a unique life experience in the last half of year. For the first time in his young adult life, he has regularly been called Mr. Teal. Nathaniel is nearing the completion of his student teaching assignment at an Ohio high school. He has been conducting the local high school corral in the community where he has gone to take his responsibilities. And Sherry and I have enjoyed seeing pictures and hearing stories, uh, especially of the high school spring concert that took place uh, this last week under Mr. Teal's direction. Life is filled with stages and life is filled with ages and they all pass by quickly. And the thought of having a grandson who will be called Mr. Teal is not something I've thought very long in my life. Teaching music. 
has been on Nathaniel's mind for nearly half of his young life. He knows that I view myself as a pastor teacher, and he now views himself in the terms of a teacher. He passed all his certifications. He has officially begun the application process with high schools in Ohio looking for a full-time music teaching position. Today, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're returning to the Old Testament pattern of Jewish life under the law, particularly under the concept of Shema. And today we're seeing again that every Jewish adult, every single Jewish adult was to view themselves in the terms of teacher. The Old Testament pattern of life designed by God for Israel and the land of promise foreshadows the life of God for his people in the New Testament era, or to say it otherwise, for the Lord's church. The pattern is the same. While we are not under the law in the same way that the Jewish people were under the law, yet the law is our schoolmaster, our teacher, and uh, there are ramifications of every facet of the pattern of Old Testament life under Shema to the New Testament life under the Savior. Jewish adults were to view themselves as teachers. Every Jewish adult was to view himself as a teacher. Likewise, the disciples of Christ are to view themselves as teachers. Now, we're going to cherry-pick three words out of our text, but you'll understand how they uniquely fit together when we point to them. The three words are found, two in verse 6, one in verse 7. Verse 6 says, and these words. In my Bible, I have marked these words. And then in verse 7, I have marked the word teach. And these words. And thou shalt teach. So the phrase in verse 6, and these words, and the phrase in verse 7, thou shalt teach. And we can summarize it just a little bit more by saying these words teach, these words teach, these words teach. Incumbent upon all Jewish adults was teaching ministry. Every adult under the Old Testament pattern of the law was to be a teacher. And we're saying, by way of application, that every disciple of Christ is to be, in fact, a teacher. Now, we've spoken of this basic concept in a number of different venues at a number of different times, but let me just quickly remind you about three things right off the surface that I don't plan to spend a lot of time with, but that uh, we've talked about before in regards to this whole idea of viewing yourself as a communicator of God's truth or as a teacher of truth. And certainly every disciple of Christ ought to see themselves as a teacher of truth. We've pointed previously to the truth that, one, everybody teaches. Truth number one, everybody teaches. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether it's purposeful or unwitting, 
Everyone influences other people for good or for bad. In fact, everybody teaches. Many, many people who would beg off the view of themselves, many, many people would say, well, I'm not a teacher. Many of those people teach. And some of them teach good things and some of them teach bad things, but everybody ultimately teaches, influences others, as it were. Number two, you cannot purposefully teach what you do not know. I mentioned my oldest grandson, Nathaniel, who is now certified to teach music on the elementary and secondary levels. His brother Ezra, after graduating from high school this year, will begin to prepare himself to teach math. Most math teachers would not be authorized to teach music. Most music teachers would not be authorized to teach math. Career path, teaching assignments, follow one's knowledge and certifications. A lot of us are Indeed, jack of all trades and master of none. Many parents can do a little bit of math and a little bit of music, but uh, we understand the value of people that have narrowed or honed the focus of their attention to a particular thing, and thereby we understand the uniqueness and value of someone who is uniquely prepared for a particular sense of engagement. But the truth remains, you cannot purposely teach what you do not know. If I said to you that on Tuesday of this week, we're going to be getting together at the church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm going to be demonstrating on one of our members of the congregation how to do open heart surgery, I would strongly advise you not to come. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. You don't want to come and, and listen to me uh, talk about open heart surgery. No, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, uh, that, could, that could turn out very, very bad. And uh, so the idea is, fact is, you, you, need to, you need to know something before you can teach something. Now, we all had teachers that have tried to teach us things when they didn't know, and that's really a mess. That's really a mess. The third thing I want to quickly mention is this. The best teachers, the best teachers, the very best of teachers are those that love the subject taught. The very best of teachers are those that love the subject taught. I had a coach who loved football and taught high school math. I had him both as a coach and a teacher. He was a good coach because he loved football. He was a terrible math teacher because he didn't love math. <laughs> I happened to take that high school math class with his own daughter who said, sitting next to me, my last name was T, her last name started with T, we sat next to each other in math class, she said to me, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and I said, I know. And even then I was able to perceive and say to her, because your dad really loves football. And she said, yep. Yep. He loved football, you could tell. He didn't love math, you could tell. There are some people that love God, you can tell. There are some people that really don't love God, and you can tell. It has very little to do with the words they say. You know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Now let's get to the text and see how the calling of Israeli adults to teach 
is found in this scripture, and the parallel of that teaching responsibility in our lives as the disciples of Christ. First of all, let's ask an answer from the text. Why were the Israelis to view themselves as teachers? Or more simply, why teach? There are two reasons given in the text. First, all Israelis were to teach because they loved the subject. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. The first reason why all Israeli adults were expected to teach is because and precedent to that idea of teaching was the idea of loving, the subject of Yahweh and his words. And again, we must connect the words, love the Lord, love Yahweh, verse 5. And the thought in verse 6, in thine heart. Love the Lord, verse 5. And words of that one loved, in thine heart. That serves as the foundation, that serves as the core, that serves as the, as, as the springboard from which uh, this idea of uh, teaching under the law uh, would take place. And again, we can say that all Israelis were to teach because of their love for the subject. Loving God cannot be logically separated from loving his faithful communications. David would say that he loved the law because he loved God. Most recently in our children's class, I was expressing to them uh, the differences in communication between when Sherry and I were young and when they now are in their young years in which people walk away around with their cell phone in their hand. And I talked about the fact that, uh, that back in the day when I was in Bible college and Sherry was back here in Michigan at the uh, upper part of the lower peninsula in Sheboygan, uh, I, would, uh, I would write to her every day. Seven days a week, I wrote to her a letter. Seven days a week, she wrote to me a letter. But back in that day, uh, the mail service was just exactly the way that it is today. Everything's changed, but the mail service hasn't changed. But nonetheless, uh, everything else is the same. But, but uh, uh, in those days, uh, there were days, sometimes two days, sometimes three days, sometimes four or five days, in which no letters Every day a letter written, every day a letter mailed. Every day a letter written, every day a, a letter mailed. Uh, and yet we went four, five, six days sometimes, no letters. And then you might get 20 on a day. There are times I couldn't even, I couldn't even uh, I read all the letters I got in the day and before I had to go to bed at night just to get ready for the next day's engagement. But it, it changes that. But, but again, we're accustomed to the idea that, that love and communication goes together. It certainly does relationally in the context of life. And love and communication goes together in the things of God. Loving God and loving his words go together. Go together. And so the Israeli adult was expected to have love for the subject, God and his words. And it's easy to focus upon the personal side, God, certainly, but it includes the aspect of that which he communicated. When I came back from Bible college to pick Sherry up and get married. She had a whole box. 
of all my letters. I never kept hers. Are you nuts? I lived in a dorm. <laughs> I'm not giving away those, those secrets to anybody else. Uh, but uh, she had all the letters in a box. And uh, we eventually destroyed those things. But nonetheless, uh, loving and communication goes uh, together. And so all of God's uh, people in Israel were expected to teach. And they weren't expected to teach music, necessarily, or math, necessarily. But they were expected to teach. Uh, and the parameters on the, as prescribed under Shema, they were to teach and be communicators because of their love for God and his word. Secondly, all Israelis were to view themselves as teachers and teach because they were commanded to do so. Verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently, and thou shalt teach. It was imperative, it was incumbent upon all God's people then to love the subject and to communicate that love and truth in the sphere of God's design. This was God's way. This was God's will. This is God's way. This is God's will. It is imperative and incumbent upon all God's people back then to love the subject and to communicate the love and truth of God in the sphere of God's design. It was God's way. It is God's way way. New Testament discipleship is likewise characterized as loving response to Christ and his words. We are to love the Lord supremely and communicate his truth consistently in the sphere of influence that is given to us by God. The classic mission statement spoken by Christ on Ascension Mount as recorded in Matthew 28, and 20, uh, uh, 28 19, and 20 uh, speaks of teaching responsibility in truth that leads to salvation. Go unto all nations, teaching them. And the first teaching of Matthew 28, 19, and 20 has to do with that particular doctrinal significant reality uh, about sin and salvation that brings us to the cross of Christ and the gospel of peace and, uh, and the blessedness of knowing that uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so there is a teaching that is forecast in Matthew 28, 19, uh, that leads others to the place of their personal salvation. And that is followed by a teaching after salvation uh, of that individual to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. And so in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we're not turning there for the sake of time, but in that glorious text, you can see that teaching is part of that which leads to salvation, and teaching is that which leads to the reality of uh, sanctification. So the entirety of ministry, the entirety of one's uh, life in response to God can be summarized by the idea of teaching. Disciples of Christ are to make disciples meaning to teach the gospel truth of Christ, leading to salvation of sinners, and then the edification of saints, the Lord's church, the mission of the Lord's church, in the whole, as represented 
in individual believers is to teach all nations and then to teach them that believe in Jesus to observe all things that are commanded. And so again, you can really characterize the totality of Christian life in the sense of the teaching that leads up to an opportunity in salvation and then the teaching that leads away from that opportunity uh, towards the aspect of growth and development in the Lord. Why should you and I be interested in active gospel teaching? Answer, you love God. And you seek to live a life of obedience. So why should you see yourself in the terms of a teacher? Uh, Again, uh, you know, in my own family, uh, Nathaniel now sees himself in the terms of a teacher, and Ezra is beginning to envision himself in terms of a teacher as it relates to music and math. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the reality of of a representative life in which, rather than being so self-absorbed and self-focused, that we understand that we are to communicate the things that we know about God to others. That we are to communicate to God, uh, about God, Uh, to others. Why teach? Because we love him. Because we love his word. Why teach? Because we seek to be obedient to his word. Now, I mean, really, I mean, really, do you know people that you are absolutely convinced from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet that they're the Lord's and yet they don't love God? (laughs) No. Do you know people that you're convinced and you say, boy, that person, they're a saved individual. If anybody's a saved individual, but that individual doesn't like the Bible, doesn't care to read it, doesn't care to hear about it, doesn't care to, to study it. I don't know any like that. And yet you and I live in a day when so much of what is called Christian has nothing to do with the simple reality of loving God and his word. And then loving God and his word, teach, communicate. That brings us to number two. What exactly was to be taught? What exactly was to be taught? The following uh, uh, element, or I should say following the text, uh, as you as we read it to this point, uh, it gives us at least five definitive things that we can say about the content of the teaching demand that was placed upon the Jewish nation. Let's quickly review those five things. Number one, all people were to teach the truth of God's correct identity. There is only one true God, Yahweh is his name. Verse four, all the Jewish adults were to given responsibility to teach the truth of one God. First thing to be taught, God's correct identity. Number two, all the people were to teach the truth of God's unity and faithfulness. We said also from verse four that that declaration, God is one, not only means that he's numerically one or the only one, but that he is faithful and reliable and immutable. One God means more than numeric oneness. It means faithful, consistent, unchanging. God wants his people to teach 
that he is reliable. I ought to represent God to you today as reliable. You ought to represent God to each other as reliable and immutable and faithful. I tell you that there are those, oh, our number is small, there are those in the midst that will greatly appreciate the reminder that God is faithful. And to have somebody else say that and remind you of that and encourage you of that is, uh, is, uh, is good uh, uh, ministry uh, one to another in the Lord. Number three, all people were to teach the truth of God's deliverance. Notice also in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God. How did God get to be their God? Why the personal use of pronoun in verse 4? Well, simple. Uh, God had acted himself in love and mercy uh, and uh, had promised Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And then, of course, uh, it also promised them new life in the land of promise. At this point in time in which this uh, communication was given, uh, God did deliver uh, uh, Israel from Egypt by the power of his mighty hand. And the text under study came as the nation was about to enter into the land of promise. All God's people are to teach the truth of God's deliverance. That's the gospel. Number four, all the Jewish people were to teach the truth of God's uh, 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 supremacy and loving God uh, as a priority in all of life. All the commandments, all the statutes, the judgments given to the nation on Sinai were to operate on the basis of love back to God, loving God. This was to be stated and demonstrated generation after generation in Israel. Again, verse 5, thou shalt love the Lord. And it's to carry forward generation after generation. Teach the truth of loving God supremely. A child that is far, far from the cognitive reality of gospel truth in order to exercise themselves unto salvation can still be taught and understand and respond to the simple reality of loving God. You can teach the youngest of children to love God as you do, to love God in singing, to love God in hearing, to love God in serving. Uh, loving God is something that can be taught almost regardless of age or stage. It's really a phenomenal thing. And all the Jewish people were to teach the truth of loving God as a priority, loving God supremely. And then number five, all Jewish people were to teach the connection between obedience and the life of the land of promise. Between obedience and life in the land of promise. To say it otherwise, there's something lost when God's people don't obey. That's going to be the sermon in the next hour from Hebrews. There's always something lost when God's people don't obey. And so the Jewish adults were not only to teach uh, the correct identity of God as to doctrine uh, and the correct unity and faithfulness of God as to relational application. They were not only to teach the truth of God's deliverance, they were not only to teach the truth of, uh, of, of loving God as uh, the first and foremost priority of one's personal life, but they were also, they were also to communicate 
the simple truth that obedience to God secures on earth things we want. And that we shall never have them apart from obeying the Lord. The Jewish adults were to teach the connection between obedience and life in the land of promise. The possession, the blessings, and enjoyments of the land were contingent upon the people loving God and obeying God. That too was to be taught. And in that sense, we might add to our previous understanding, you cannot teach what you do not know, this truth. You will not rightly teach what you do not do. For any adult to teach obedience is to live obediently. And obedience is clearly an issue under the Old Testament construct in Israel. In the New Testament case of the disciple of Christ, each of these five things finds application. All disciples embrace and communicate the gospel truth of Christ as to his correct identity. Ultimately, Christ must be understood as the God-man in order for the richness of our salvation to be comprehended. Secondly, all the disciples of Christ embrace and communicate the gospel of truth, uh, gospel truths of Christ's accomplishment at the cross and the power of his bodily resurrection. Thirdly, all disciples have placed their faith in Christ for salvation from sin and death and are to teach others to place their faith in Christ uh, for deliverance from sin and death. Fourthly, all disciples of Christ are called to love the Lord supremely. Number five, all the disciples of Christ have received of the Lord's own first advent faithfulness, blessing, and enjoyment of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. But the enjoyment of those spiritual blessings will not come in life apart from prayer and obedience. By the work and accomplishments of Christ that we enter into the family of God and secure the blessed position. It is by walking by the, with the Holy Spirit that we experience the very love, joy, and peace of God during the days of earthly life. These are the five things every person on earth ought to be told. There is an abundant life in Christ and in Him alone. I, I cannot tell you what damage has been done. In my mind, what damage has been done in churches like ours because of ticket-to-heaven mentality. So many people pushed and prodded to make a, a profession. And thousands did. And yet we don't have the benefit of thousands when we sing or thousands when we when we uh, pray, or thousands when we read scripture, or thousands when we preach. But a handful. Why so much profession 
and why so much? Absolutely benign Christianity. In the big picture of things, professing Christianity is no more moral nor any more, more helpful in general terms than the Islamic, the Hindu, or the Buddhist. And yet you and I know that there is no saving of the soul apart from Jesus Christ. And the truth of Christ ought to be touted and lived so that people can see the difference in actual life. The scripture says that there is abundant life in Christ and him alone. That's got to be true. And our lives ought to bespeak it. It strikes me that the most modern classes and presentations of gospel evangelism uh, jump, jump very quickly to truth number five. Baptists in particular have often thought that you can tell a worldling, cold turkey, that Jesus died for their sins and that he or she ought to be saved without teaching people the truth of Christ's identity or teaching the truth truth of Christ's accomplishments on the cross and out of the tomb, or without teaching people the truth of personal salvation from sin by no other means, and the truth of loving Christ back, who loved us first. It's amazing how that we like to skip to what we think is the main thing, often missing the whole of the thing in the process. These same five truths are the godly lines of exhortation and edification for your fellow saints. All God's people are emboldened to hear someone speak of the Lord's true identity, of the Lord's true accomplishments, of the Lord's salvation. All saints love to hear and see of Christ in the life of another whose love for the Savior is on full display. All saints will be emboldened to be reminded of their spiritual blessings already secured by Christ and enjoyed here and now by walking in that indwelling spirit. This is what we ought to be teaching each other and others all the time. This is what... We are to teach. That brings us to the last word this morning. Uh, how? How? How are the Israelis to go about this teaching of truth uh, and love as demanded by God? Well, just to begin verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. How were they to satisfy their demand to teach? I would say again from verse 7, two things. First, note the phrase, unto thy children. That reveals 
God's design to use the natural family unit as primary in theological education. Where should a son learn first and foremost about God? Answer, Jewish answer under the law from his dad, from his mother, from his grandpa, from his aunts and uncles. Jewish parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles were all to engage in loving communication of truth to and through their own family units. The primary thing, the most important thing for any household or home was telling the truth of God and his words. And then secondly, this was to be carried forward in the natural patterns of physical life or the routines of life, talking, walking, sitting, sleeping, walking. Now, I know people can have physical disability and therefore they they struggle to walk or they struggle to talk, but generally speaking, uh, people talk without much thought, oftentimes. People walk, they talk, they sit, they sleep, they walk, uh, and, uh, and without uh, considering it to be uh, uh, over the top or, or uh, by any means a, a phenomenal grief. A trained educator in this modern era would say that God's plan, as represented here, did not call for formal presentations of truth in structured classes, but for the full inculcation of truth in every facet of life. Theology and heart response to God was to be presented and lived out day after day along with everything else called routine. It is out of the normal flow of things we always do in life that we are to bring the grand truths of God and loving him to the fore. The word teach itself is interesting. We've talked about it in days gone by. I remind you that it is most easily translated by the English word wet. Not W-E-T, as in water is wet, but wet, as in W-H-E-T. Like you wet a stone for the sharpening of a knife. Hence, the law gives us a depiction of life in which people that are living the truth of God, people that are expressing the truth of God, uh, not only as to what, but expressing it as to their love for that God and his truth, are impactful upon others to the glory of God. That is the Old Testament standard and pattern of life. For the land of promise. And that is the New Testament pattern of life. For the life of promise that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, our time is gone.